Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating how we should teach slavery to children and we are starting right now with lp's opening statement thanks so much for being with us lp aka i hypocrite the floor is all yours all right thanks james pleasure to be back here on modern day debate and uh, i didn't prepare this opening statement i'm just gonna i'm just gonna spit from the heart uh i want to start by saying that you know i wanted we had a bit of trouble titling titling the debate narrowing down the topic i actually Oh, I hear myself. Hold on a sec. Fixed. All right. Uh, I wanted to call this the white guilt debate and to explain, because I think that gets more to the heart of the issue of, of what we're really here to talk about. And I'll just briefly recap how we got here. So I follow a guy on Twitter, Beige Frequency. He's a YouTuber. He makes good documentaries about comedians and, and uh, stuff like that, uh, MMA stuff. And he put out a tweet. I'm just going to read his tweet here word for word. He said, also, I'm going to say it. What is so bad about critical race theory? Even in the worst nightmares, it's kids being told that they should feel guilty about being white. Wow, that's so terrible. I wonder if anyone in America ever experienced anything worse than that. So I responded to him and I said, well, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Just because something bad happened back then doesn't mean we need to like psychologically abuse children today. To which he replied, uh, essentially, oh, but there's all this like rape and torture and oppression. And I think the implication of what he is saying is that the American history is so objectively evil on the part of white people that there's just no way that you can actually teach this to children without the white kids feeling guilty and ashamed. Uh, so then I told him, well, you should read this essay by Thomas Sowell called the real history of slavery. And he responded by kind of mocking me saying, Oh, yeah, I'm sure this one guy wrote a book that is better than this extremely well-documented history of American, uh, period of American history. And th this is where uh, Robert kind of jumped in, too, and was like, 
oh yeah, they're they're they have this myopic view. They're obsessed with this one book. I pity him and his small mind and this and that. So that's how we got to the debate. Now, the thing about this essay I recommended, and clearly Beige hasn't read it, is that it has nothing to do with uh, downplaying the horrors of American slavery or the racism involved in that period. Rather, what it is, oh, it's my phone, sorry, put that away. Rather, what it is, is a uh, more broad global view of the history. And when you look at that in this context, the context of white guilt, there's two key takeaways that you're going to get from reading it. The first is that slavery was basically a universal aspect of human history for like thousands of years. It happened in every civilization uh, and it was pretty bad everywhere. You can maybe argue that some places were more brutal and inhumane than others, but I don't think there's a lot of value in that. Slavery is always inhumane and wrong, but everybody engaged in it, and there's no reason to believe that there's anything uniquely pernicious or special about white people's role in this institution. That's the first takeaway. The second is that it was essentially white people, to, if we're going to use that kind of terminology or categorization, who were responsible for ridding the world of slavery. Of course, you can't completely rid the world of things like that. It's still There are still places where that's happening today, but there's no countries in the world where slavery is legal today. And if you think that's a good thing, you can thank a white person because they were the ones who went on the moral crusade at not small cost to deal with this issue. Uh, so I'll say on behalf of white people, you know, you're welcome and we're glad we could help. Uh, and that, so those are the main two things that I'm, I'm curious how, what Robert has to say about that. And, and then the third thing is, is I don't understand why people would have a bug up their ass about Thomas Sowell. This is one of the greatest, uh, you know, conservative thinkers of our time, uh, well-respected historian, economist, cultural critic. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what the actual complaint is. Are, are these things I'm saying not true? Is there some kind of lying by omission happening here? Uh, I'll have to wait and see what, what the issue is with Thomas Sowell, a man I greatly respect. Uh, that's basically it. Now, I, I have also brought some evidence of how this is being taught to very young children. I've also got some academic uh, things in terms of like the, the validity of the construct of white guilt, but I don't know if those issues are even going to be contested. So I'll just leave it at that and throw it back to you and we can have a conversation about this. You got it, and want to say thanks, folks, for being with us. If it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we're a neutral channel hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. And want to encourage you to hit that subscribe button as we have many more juicy debates coming up. For example, the bottom right of your screen, Hunter Avalone returns to debate James Hake of the Hake Report on gay adoption. So that should be a new and interesting topic. But with that, we're going to kick it over to Robert for his opening as well. And then we'll go into open conversation. Robert, thrilled to have you as well. The floor is all yours. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I guess I'll start with one of the last things that you said, because you, you seem to express curiosity about it, even though it's my opening statement. I'll just sort of respond directly to um, one of the last things, which is what, what might be my problem with Thomas Sowell? 
Well, I remember, um, and I don't know how long he's sort of been a like a fixture of the conservative movement, but one of my first sort of impressions of him was during the Bush era. And I originally started as someone who was, you know, very politically motivated by anti-war. And that was sort of my main thing during that era. And I wasn't as focused on um, racial issues or, you know, how to teach slavery to children or issues like that. But one of the first things I picked up on from his writings was sort of this notion that the Islamic world um, was one of the, uh, let's say, one of the most egregious groups of people throughout history that held slaves. And, you know, I'm not going to necessarily debate on that subject exactly, but I remember sort of being provoked just sort of as like a lefty anti-war person at that time thinking, you know, what is this guy's deal? Why is he sort of trying to push this this narrative about the Islamic world, you know, simultaneously with the United States uh, essentially bombing the shit out of them? So I was curious about him uh, from the Bush era, didn't really follow him, um, but saw his name come up uh, kind of more in the Trump era. And oddly enough, he sort of popped up in my YouTube algorithm. Um, I guess that's what happens when you start clicking on you know, Ben Shapiro videos or Jordan Peterson videos, you eventually get around to one of Thomas Sowell videos or I'm not sure. Is it Thomas Sowell or Thomas Sowell? I think it's Sowell. So I'm going to say that unless someone wants to correct me. But one of the first videos that I saw of him on YouTube was, in my opinion, uh, designed to downplay uh, the egregiousness or the horrors of specifically American slavery. And when I say that, I mean that even though I agree with you. I on on some level, he is trying to broaden the frame. He's trying to widen the scope of you know what is this discussion about slavery? Let's talk about slavery all throughout history. Slavery done by people who were non-white, for example. And one of the things that I find interesting about that is that, in essence, he is downplaying American slavery by trying to act as if, in comparison to all these other forms of slavery, it's really not that bad. And I do, I'm not saying anybody here holds these views um, of any kind, but it does remind me of, you know, a similar thing where people try to do with like downplaying the Holocaust. Now you can't necessarily make the argument that someone downplaying the Holocaust is a straight up Holocaust denier. Um, but the, I think that the sort of the action um, is meant to achieve a similar end. It is meant what Thomas Sowell does, and he does it very well, um, and I, and I haven't, I don't know if I've read the exact essay you're talking about. I, I have read part of his book about slavery, um, and I, I find it very interesting how many different, you know, historical examples he comes up with to try to uh, make it seem as if American slavery is overshadowed by, you know, Chinese slavery, Egyptian slavery, um, Indian slavery. But I do notice that he's very uh, vague with some of the specific facts. So one thing I'll point to, you know, before we move on to this topic of guilt, is just this idea that, um, you know, the slaves that were here in the United States were basically almost like an imported product, um, imported over many, many miles, uh, over very difficult, long journeys where many people died and got horribly ill in a way that... Um, if you really do think about how, you know, how that was happening as late as like the, you know, early 1800s, it is pretty egregious, even in comparison 
to other types of slavery all throughout world history. Um, in terms of the industriousness of getting that many Africans to be basically stolen and imported to the United States is, um, is unique in the history of overall slavery. So I think that's something Thomas Sowell misses, and I think he deliberately omits things like just that specifically to make it appear that this was you know, relatively normal. And in the larger scheme of things, it wasn't that bad. And what I'll, what I have to say on the idea of guilt, I mean, I, you know, grew up in, in elementary school, public school, learning very basic, vague sort of overview of Martin Luther King. Um, we didn't learn that he was, you know, turning against poverty or the Vietnam War or things like that. But I don't, you know, this idea of feeling guilty, I mean, I guess my perspective on it is, I, I, I do, I, maybe I have some issue with the, the term white guilt. I think it should be almost more like American guilt, a collective guilt uh, that Americans should at least feel to some extent of what our history is and how we don't want to do, you know, act that way anymore. Now, the problem is, in a lot of ways, Americans still live in a lie. Um, you know, for example, I'm, you know, very much on the left, anti-war. A lot of people in the anti-war movement still think that something like the bombing of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki is okay, and it's not a war crime. So there's a lot of, I mean, I, I think Americans should feel guilty over that. I think Americans should feel guilty over interning the Japanese. So, you know, just to give you some insight into how I think about what, what kind of guilt we should feel. Or, you know, maybe we could argue about how much guilt one should feel. So that's my, I'm done. Sorry, probably went a little overtime there. No worries. And I want to let you know, folks, we are very excited to let you know our guests are linked in the description. The guests are the lifeblood of the channel. Seriously, we really appreciate them. They are linked below, and that includes if you're listening via the podcast. We put our guest links in the description box there as well. So if you want to hear more, you can. But let's jump into the open conversation. Thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. All right, can I can I respond to that? All right. So when you you were talking about the soul during the Bush era, and I, I looked up when this book, uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals, was written. It was written in 2005. And, it, and in this book, this is what contains the essay, The Real History of Slavery. He does talk a lot about what happened in the Arab slave trade, also just the slave uh, slavery in Africa, northern Africa as well. Um, so it sounds like maybe that is what you read, but at the same time, if you read it, you either didn't read it carefully or you glossed over some parts because he goes into great detail about how, and, and he, he explicitly states that more or, or that the slaves who went to the Middle East, not only was there more of them than what went to, uh, across the Atlantic slave trade, but that they died at higher rates. They died at higher rates because they were marched across the desert and they would often just uh, die of thirst. And if they didn't have the strength to keep marching through the desert, they would just be left in the dust to die slowly rotting away. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say like that's worse than drowning or whatever, but it's, it's pretty brutal. Also, another aspect of the Middle Eastern slave trade that was sort of unique was the high demand for uh, castrated slaves for eunuchs because they want they use them to guard the harems who the, the, who the women in the harems were also slaves they were sex slaves but uh, 
many of the men are mostly Africans, not only, but mostly Africans who were uh, given this role. They were, they'd be castrated. Many of them would die. Many, like more than half of them would die, but it was, it was still profitable to do that because they commanded a higher price if they were castrated. Uh, so that's something that's kind of unique to the Arab trade. But again, it's not about saying, oh, that's so bad. Therefore, American slavery is not so bad. You, can, you use the word downplay a couple times in your opening that he's trying to downplay this, like, he, like downplaying the Holocaust. Uh, so again, it's not about saying that what happened here isn't bad. This is an important distinction. It's about saying there was nothing specifically terrible about this compared to what was happening everywhere else in the world, including China and India, Europe, etc. So, so the, the question is, you know, if, if all civilizations engaged in slavery, why should Americans feel particularly bad about it when, and and especially when you bring in that second point, which you didn't address, which is that it, it was white people specifically who were the ones who said, you know, I, this this whole like one human owning another, I don't think this is right. And then the more they thought about it, the more they said, actually, this is wrong and we need to put an end to it. And that that's also uh, highly detailed in Sal's essay, Souls, sorry. I, I never, I always say Sal, but I know that's wrong, but I just say oh, it. Oh, no, you're right. Anyway. I, address, I forgot to address the last thing you said. So the last thing you said is very interesting because my reading of history is that some of the most uh, influential abolitionists originally were black. Now, I mean, or, you know, you say white people are the people who sort of are responsible for ending slavery. Well, let's think of the context of the United States. Black people were still not free. So really the only I mean. I guess it depends on what you mean by that. Like, are you saying that white people are the ones that had enough sort of political power and leverage to move the needle on that subject? Like, because, I mean, there are a lot of people, a lot of black people, you know, including, you know, some people who used to be slaves, who um, became free before the Civil War, uh, who became like very important abolitionist figures. So I guess I'm just not sure what you mean by white people are the ones who ended slavery. Are you saying like America, because America decided to collectively end slavery, that means that white people are responsible for it? Uh, that's not exactly what I'm saying, although that would that would counter your idea that Americans need to feel guilty about slavery. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more specifically to. So. So, yeah, obviously, slaves generally don't want to be slaves. So. But but it's like you said, they the slaves don't didn't have institutional power, they didn't have influence. So in order for this institution to be torn down, it required people of status to turn against it and to speak out against it. So that did happen in America. It is but it especially happened in Britain. And in Britain, they didn't have as many slaves as America, but they did have slaves. So the, the British government paid the slave owners to release the slaves, like they compensated them for their property at a significant percentage of the GDP when they decided to emancipate everybody. But it, they didn't stop there. They policed the coat. They policed the coasts of like Africa to stop other people from engaging in the slave trade. 
And there, there's a lot of like horrific anecdotes that come out of that because the other civilizations like the Ottoman Empire, they didn't want to stop slave trading even when the, the British were sending envoys saying, hey, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. We've stopped doing it. And, uh, you know, we're fine. Look at us. You don't need this to run your, your society. But other societies, they didn't want to stop. So the they started policing the coast, like sending out Navy ships to arrest slavers. This is well documented. Horrific things happened. Again, I I, I know you, you seem to get a little bit uncomfortable if we focus on Arabs, but there was a lot of Arab slavers. And there are stories of how when the British would send boats after them, they would slit the throats of the slaves and throw them overboard to drown so that they wouldn't get caught. Uh, so, so that's what I mean. And then, and then eventually the French started joining in on this. The Amer Americans later also started sending boats to, to patrol places. Uh, there was a lot of slavery in Brazil. And so they, they would send them down the coast of South America as well to try to intercept the slave trades. Uh, and, and speaking of this, this is kind of like a, a side note or an interjection, but just back to your point about like all the slaves who were brought over the transatlantic, the transatlantic slavery database project estimates that about 10 to 12 million slaves were brought over the Atlantic ocean of those 10 or so million only about 500,000 were brought to the United States. Most, the vast majority of those slaves were brought to Brazil and the Caribbean. Uh, and many of the slave owners in the, in the Caribbean were black. There was thousands of black commercial slave owners in America. Of course, there was native tribes who bought black slaves. So, so again, just to, to speak to the race thing, again, there was, there's no innocent races when it comes to slavery. So, sorry, I know that's a little bit all over the place, but I just wanted to get that out. Well, I will, I will answer one. You're, you're right. It does that his book originally captured my attention because of the, the, it was, it had a focus on this idea of Arab or Muslim slavery. And because it was during the Bush era, yeah, it did make me uncomfortable. I will totally admit that. And part of the reason it did, is because he belongs to the Hoover Institution. Now, the Hoover Institution is strangely, this is what's strange to me. So we have this perception now in the Trump era that there's sort of these liberal elites versus, you know, the right, right? Well, the Hoover Institution is a part of Stanford University, which is considered a very liberal university. Um, there's a lot of liberal academics, neocons at this uh, institution. It's the director now is Condoleezza Rice. Uh, the former director used to be George Schultz, Ronald Reagan's secretary of state. So part of the reason it made me uncomfortable when I found out Sowell was part of the Hoover Institution is I, I personally see things like the Hoover Institution as an arm of the deep state or, you know, that might seem conspiratorial to people. But it to me, it, it appeared that Thomas Sowell was basically playing into the war on terror by coming in through the side to the culture war um, sort of, you know, schema of sort of like right wing information. And that's what it appeared to me at the time. And frankly, I mean, I don't know if that the, just this his, and I still think he is downplaying slavery. I'll, I'll argue for that in a second, but I, but I think that what he did back then um, to me, I mean, it seems a little bit suspicious uh, I don't know uh, his full background, but 
it, I, I, I tend to get suspicious of people who are sort of carrying out what I would consider like a neoconservative agenda. Even if he might have been, let's just say he was doing it totally organically during the Bush era, it is a little bit convenient to me. And I, you know, could have just been a money grab on his part, um, but I don't know. So, yeah, I'm throwing that out there. And I'm also, I mean, when it comes to Thomas Sowell downplaying slavery, I do think when you zoom out from something enough and you just say, oh, I'm just putting something in context and showing you all the other history, there's a certain point where it be, does become clear that the, that the reason you're doing it, that the function it's serving is to downplay the, a certain thing. And I, I think that's hard. It's hard to make the case that that's not what he's doing. I mean, I understand what you're saying that he, you know, also talks about a, a trek through the desert. I mean, how long ago are we talking about? How let's let's talk about that. How long ago in history was that, you know, that event? Is that something that happened simultaneously with you know the last slave ships delivering slaves to the United States, or it happened not only simultaneously, but it continued happening after the British started policing and cracking down on that. It was the Arabs who they were cracking down on. Those They were the ones who they were trying to stop from engaging in mass slave trading. Uh, and and it, like I said, it went, it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And there was, there was also the North African slave trade, which was like the Barbary pirates who were uh, Muslims. Mm -hmm. And they took a million European slaves back to, uh, you know, Egypt and Tripoli, Morocco. Uh, so, you know, a, a million European slaves, that's not the same as 10 million Africans. But again, it gets a little bit gauche when you try to play the victim Olympics and be like, well, you guys took more slaves and, and you guys treated them worse than this and that. Uh, again, I, you keep saying downplay. He's downplaying. And, and you're saying by, by like zooming out instead of like, Talk, you know, we should just talk about how whites raped black women over and over and over. Rape, 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 murder, murder, murder. Otherwise, we're downplaying it. You can say that, but you're not giving me any kind of compelling argument about anything that happened in America that is particularly egregious compared to the rest of the world. So I'll I'll say to you again, if if everyone did this and if everyone's guilty. And if it's all in the past, then why don't we just fucking move on with our lives? You know what I mean? Why do we got to sit here and and enumerate, uh, 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 ruminate, ruminate? That's the word. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, well, first of all, I don't I, I don't think that that's how the way you described the others, the flip side of how you should teach slavery. That's not how I think it should be taught. So. I think that, I mean, part of the reason I think it's important to reflect on our slavery and even teach it to children here, first and foremost, is because I'm assuming you, I don't know for sure, because I did, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I, I live in the United States. I grew up here. And as, as someone who grows up in the United States, um, you know, taking the argument of if it's more egregious than other past examples or not, just being an American... I do think we should reflect on our past, you know, horrific behavior. I mean, that in it, I, I think that in of itself is important. Now, what was more egregious about American slavery than other forms of slavery? Um, I would say that, you know, another thing that makes it uniquely egregious is that America as a country was largely built off of a surplus of slavery 
essentially from nothing, um, you know, except for some, you know, s- settlers. So I, I do think that that does make America a special, if you want to use that word, that you, if you remove slavery from the equation, I do think it's hard to make the argument that America would have been as prosperous as it was, um, nearly as prosperous as it was. So in terms of the prosperity, uh, the wealth that America accumulated and the f- essentially free labor it got, um, I think plays a very huge role in fundamentally and why America is the way it is in terms of its, you know, we want to call it prosperous, successful for being a young country. So you, maybe you don't think that that's bad, um, but I think it's hard to argue against that, that that makes America very unique in that sense. There aren't very many other countries you can point to where you're like, that country has only been around for you know a few hundred years and man, they really you know got a leg up with all those slaves. And that, I mean, I think that in particular, you know, what other country besides America has done that? Okay, so it's really not hard to argue against. And before I give my rebuttal here, I just want to remind you that, like, what you you said that oh, this book, whatever. And I said to you, you know, just by reading this book, I probably have a better understanding of slavery than you do, which you made fun of me for. Now, again, every almost everything I'm using here is taken from this sole essay, "The Real History of Slavery." Now, I've already told you. Uh, there was only about, it was actually less than 500,000 slaves brought to America compared to like 5 million brought to Brazil and another 4 million and change brought to the Caribbean. If slavery equated to prosperity and wealth, we would expect Brazil to be the world superpower, not America. Not only that, but, you know, the the north of America where they ha- didn't have so much slavery uh, was able to defeat the South where they had the slavery. Again, speaking to the fact that like just because you have slaves doesn't turn you into some kind of great, all-powerful, prosperous country. There were more slaves, there were more people enslaved in Africa way by orders of magnitude than were, were brought to America. There were more slaves brought to the Middle East than were brought to America uh, so I, I do find it fairly facile to reject the idea that America was built on slavery. America was built on, uh, you know, the, the founding principles and just a lot of hard work by everyone. I mean, even previous to the the founding, if you want to, you know, just talk about the larger North America, I mean, it, it slavery was around for a lot longer than you know, the 1776. So, you know, if you want to say if, if that, if we're arguing about when the United States started, how prosperous was it simply because of slavery? It's a little bit more complex. I mean, I do think that you, you can't remove the context of all the slavery that was around previous to that. I mean, and there's some shared responsibility if you want to, you know, include Britain in the mix and saying that they're also responsible. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I'll say that there's, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know enough. Yeah. You're, I will concede that I do not know enough about uh, this international slavery history that Thomas Sowell is trying to uh, present in his essay. Um, but I would, I would say that there's probably other historical context out there that doesn't line up with his. That's pretty credible. I'll just say that that's probably the case. Um, and, I mean, 
Thomas Sowell, you know, is a is a very conservative guy. So is not like to, I, I think to base your entire understanding of slavery history off of like a conservative author who works for a like a conservative think tank is just a little myopic on your part. I mean, so I would just say, like, you you don't you seem like a smart guy. I mean, so like, you know, maybe increase your pool of of information about you know if you if you're really interested in the subject. I mean, like you can't possibly believe that Thomas Sowell's essay gave you like the red pill end all education on international slavery, right? I'm not saying that everything there is to possibly know is contained in this like 30 page essay. I'm saying if you could give this essay to every American and have them read it, it would do a lot to, to move us past this, this racial tension that we have in the country. Listen, man, if you have actual arguments and citations to, to point out where soul got things wrong or what he's missing, I'm all ears, but rambling about, you know, neocon Hoover Institute, deep state, dude weed stuff and, and just calling him biased these are not arguments these are these are ad homs this isn't convincing at all and uh you know i we don't need to like go back and forth forth on this forever i kind of feel like vindicated and satisfied with what i've heard already um i i did want to add a couple of things just to like just to go back to like the education the pedagogy aspect of it uh, after we agreed to this debate, there was a story published on the New York Post about a children's book called Our Skin that was being distributed to school libraries in the state of New York. This book is intended for two-year-old children or, or as young as two years old, and it includes passages such as, a long time ago, way before you were born, a group of white people made up an idea called race. They sorted people by skin color and said that white people were better, smarter, prettier, and that they deserved more than everybody else. Similarly, just a few weeks ago, uh, there was a story in Rochester about a teacher being under, under investigation for a lesson he did on slavery where his mostly black students were given cotton and he told them they had to pick the seeds out of the cotton while he walked around the classroom saying things like don't look don't make eye contact boy and stuff like this so you have two sides of the coin here you have white guilt on one side because any kid if you if you take a young child and you read to them the passage i just gave you they're gonna feel bad they're gonna feel guilty children don't have the psychology or the understanding to 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 deal with these kinds of things. This is just like psychological abuse to put this on kids. And then on the other side, you have black children who are being made to feel like victims, who are being told that the world hates them, that it's always hated them, and that the white man's keeping you down. And this is like a terrible situation. There's also a video that was posted on Lives of TikTok a couple days ago, a kindergarten teacher talking about how they gave a lesson on white privilege. And when because it was on Zoom, because it was during the pandemic, some of the parents called in to complain. And uh, when some of the parents said, yeah, I don't like you treating my child differently just because they're white. And then in the video, the teacher says, I'm like, was that hard for you? Very smug, very condescending. There's this mentality that, that white people need to atone. It's This has been happening for like 
you know, 40, 50, 60 years, we've been teaching history this way. People don't know the stuff that's in this essay. That's why I tell people to read it. People don't know about slavery in, in, in a broad sense, historically. People don't know that that white people went on a moral crusade to end slavery. You know, I wish I could explain it better. I don't have the greatest memory. I did try to reread the essay last night, but I I can't, I don't have a photographic memory, so I can't get into the specific dates and names and places and stuff like that. I'd encourage everybody to read it for themselves, but people just don't know this stuff. And that's, that's the problem as I see it. I mean, you said again that white people led the crusade to end slavery. I don't, understand i still don't understand what you mean by that i mean it, i i mean I'll, I'll let you respond to that i just i i just think it's a it's a very bizarre oversimplification to use considering how many black people were instrumental in the abolitionist movement i mean so like i don't i just don't get why you keep repeating that the other thing is i mean you also say that for 50 60 years children have been learning about slavery somehow in a way that's wrong. And that's something I wish we could touch on more. Cause I don't like when I think about how I was taught about slavery in the eighties, um, when I was growing up, it was pretty tame. And I think it was essentially like a pretty much a whitewash of what, how bad slavery actually was. I mean, I don't even remember learning about how reconstruction was fought at every turn, uh, by racists and, you know, including Democrats like Andrew Johnson at the time, who were essentially conspiring against Reconstruction, trying to prevent uh, black people from being, you know, having the rights that they were given uh, when, you know, after the Civil War. And I didn't even learn about like the Jim Crow era until I was, you know, until I started getting into like politics as a, you know, college age person. I didn't even go to like co- college in that sense. So I don't. I, I'm curious to hear from you. What is what's so wrong about the way that that Amer- like let's just say American public schools, like the American public school curriculum, and then the other thing you touched on, and I feel like you know, like I do see people doing this a lot, where it's sort of like conflating together a lot of different things and saying like you you mentioned there's this mentality that people want white children to feel guilty. Well you really haven't pointed to any type of like curriculum that's like being distributed in schools in mass. If you had something like that, you were reflecting on and wanting to discuss, like here's a curriculum taught in these public schools that explicitly teaches white children to feel guilty about themselves. I feel like that's something we could both sink our teeth into and argue about, but like the only thing, I mean, the only things you're saying is just like videos posted by teachers you know, some really lib teachers acting, you know, like acting really ridiculous or, you know, some of these other things. The book that you mentioned is the only thing that's really specific that, you know, I don't like, is that you said it's meant for years to two years old and up. Is that something that the this is like being distributed to like, you know, because uh, like preschools, like wh- how is this being distributed in school? Like that's information I I would need to follow up on. So I think without some kind of actual public school curriculum that's explicitly making white children feel guilty or white people feel guilty, this is the kind of a lot of this just feels like shadow boxing. And I do understand that there's like a lot of people talking about this mentality and there's all this discussion about CRT and things like that right now. 
but I just feel like it doesn't necessarily match up with the reality in like public school curriculum. So, I mean, but at, at the same time, like if you want to talk about how alarming it is that certain teachers are acting really lib or, you know, saying things on these TikTok videos or whatever, we could talk about that. I just, I'm not sure exactly how to talk about the idea of like <clears throat> the right level of how much guilt a child should have surrounding, you know, these horrible things America did in its past. Um, and I don't even, like, like I said at the very beginning, I don't even think that white children explicitly or only should feel guilt about that. I think all American children on some level should have some, a little bit of guilt or maybe at least reflect on, you know, call it guilt. I don't know. I mean, I, that's another argument to make. What, what, what level of guilt is reasonable? And I, I feel like basically what you're saying is like zero guilt, like no, none is the, is the level. Yeah. American children should be patriotic. They should love this country. They should be happy to be in this country. Uh, and I think you're being a little bit disingenuous when you take these racially charged issues like uh, slavery, uh, the treatment of the Native Americans or the, the genocide of the Native Americans, as people like to say, uh, you know, the internment of the Japanese, all these racially charged things, and then act as if, oh, we're all, we're all Americans, we're all in this together, we all shoulder an equal uh, uh, burden and responsibility for this. No, it's white people who are blamed for all of these things. Now, I, gr I grew up in Canada. I do live in America now, but I grew up in Canada in the 80s and 90s. And that's where I was educated. And we learned not only about slavery, not only about the poor treatment of Native Americans, but also the civil rights Era and so, and so I'm I'm surprised to hear you say you didn't learn about that in America. I, I'm really surprised to hear that because we were learning that in Canada back in the 80s, and I'm not surprised to hear you say that all of the civil rights leaders were black because that's what you learn in school. You learn about Rosa Parks, you learn wow. about uh, Martin Luther King, you learn about Harriet Tubman. You know, and you're basically you're you're left with an impression that. Black people ended slavery through their, their activism and their resistance. That's the oversimplification. Um, and then, like I said, all, the, all this other stuff you don't learn. You don't learn that everybody had slaves. You don't learn that Black people own slaves, that, that there's slaves in Africa. Yeah, I don't need to repeat myself. But so it is a narrowly constructed version of history that does have uh, you you would assume people would feel guilty when, and you would assume that white people specifically would because they're the ones who are put as responsible for all of these things happening, all these bad things. So it started in the 80s and 90s because it, that's the way I was taught. I was taught with that kind of... Uh, I, I look, I don't think it was like psychotic that people did that. I think it was well intentioned, but misguided. I think the idea was these things are terrible. Slavery is bad. Racism is bad. We don't want history to repeat itself. And so we're going to teach this in a way that makes everybody understand just how, oh, so terrible and bad it is. But the unintended consequence of that is that you ended up basically making it seem like one race is worse than the others and more guilty than the others. 
And so it, now you have like this feedback loop where the people who grew up learning that in the 80s, now they're the ones teaching in the schools and it's gotten more escalated. It's gotten more intense. I don't, I didn't come here with a bunch of like um, official curriculums or, or how they lay it out. We just, we know that what I'm saying is true because all the stuff that I'm pointing to, people don't know about it. If you want to know what people learn in school, you can go ask them on the street. They don't know about the Arab slave trade. They don't know about the Barbary pirate slave trade. They don't know that out of the 10 million slaves brought across the Atlantic, the vast majority were not taken to the United People don't know this stuff. So that's how you know it's not being taught in school. While whether or not it should be taught in school is, is somewhat debatable, like how detailed and specific you have to get about everything. As far as the uh, the children's book I mentioned here in the New York Post article, it says that uh, the book aimed at those ages two to five has been distributed to at least one Manhattan kindergarten, one on Staten Island, as well as a Brooklyn school and appears to be part of the Department of Education's new universal mosaic curriculum. The Department of Education announced the plan under former Mayor de Blasio to standardize instructional materials and better reflect the system's demographics. It is to begin in 2023. So, you know, this passage from this book about how white people invented uh, racism because they want, they thought they were better than everybody and they wanted to have more than everybody. The fuck are we putting this to giving this to children for it's literally insane it's it's literally mental man it's evil it's ontologically evil and i sleep like a baby at night knowing i'm fighting against this stuff i mean i could see i i'm trying to get into your shoes and understand what you know what it is that's so provocative and i guess like if i'm trying to like make you not worry as much about this stuff. It would be like, you know, this is like one book. I mean, I guess this is, this is what I, I wonder sometimes with people who have your point of view is, is it like you're almost like thinking if like, do you feel like there's sort of an army about to sort of like come over the hill to like indoctrinate all the children in American public schools to feel this deep sense of white guilt or is it sort of like, you know, this is the, you're worried that this is the future at some point and you're trying to like catch these really extreme, you know, more extreme examples as they're sort of coming through. Cause I, I as I'm talking to you, I'm not sure if you think that this is like the norm now in American public schools, or if this is like kind of a little bit of an exception and you know, that's, that's not happening everywhere. So I, I I'm just curious, like what, how you feel about that? it's not coming down the pike or over the hill. It's already here. It's already happening. And it's been happening for decades. Like I said, it's just so innocuous and not innocuous, but it seems innocuous that that's what makes it so insidious is that that on the surface, a lot of this stuff doesn't look that bad, but you have to look at the effects of it. Um, ah, I, lo <laughs> I lost what I was going to say. Uh, I, so the, the way we teach it, nah, I, I lost it. I don't know, but, but yeah, it's already here. It's already happening. Okay. Well, I mean, that oh, oh, sorry. I, I, I got it. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I've been a little bit under the weather and I'm, I don't think I'm getting dementia or something, but I, I remember what I was going to say. So if you look up white guilt on Google scholar, there are like pages and pages, dozens and dozens of, 
uh, published articles in scientific journals dealing with the concept of white guilt. So that's not like hypothetical that this phenomenon exists. We, we can argue all day about where is it coming from? Is it coming from the schools? Is it coming from the teachers? Are white people just naturally uh, prone to guilt because they're so evil? We could argue about that, but it's there. It's there. You can look it up on Google Scholar. Uh, the articles, by the way, they don't talk about like, oh, we're psychologically abusing white people to make them guilt. They talk about how like white guilt can be used to like make people more uh, positive towards affirmative action and more active, like more likely to be social justice activists. Like they talk about it like it's this force for good or they talk about it in a way that's like, oh, poor white people. Do you feel bad about all the evil stuff your ancestors did? You can go look up the articles for yourself on Google Scholar. Uh, so, but like I said, so that phenomenon exists. You can sit there and deny that it's that the public schools bear a responsibility for the fact that it exists. But what you haven't done is given me any compelling reason that white people should feel guilty. You keep saying that, you, you know, you're kind of retreating from the Mott to the Bailey and saying, oh, well, all Americans should feel bad about what happened. And it's like, you can say that. That's not how it plays out in reality. And the, the way it plays out is that white people feel bad and they shouldn't. So there's obviously a problem somewhere. Okay, well, I'll, I'll address what you just said. So... Yeah, I mean, even though that is my view that, if, that that Americans have a lot to feel guilty about, let's just talk about specifically white children learning about the history of slavery, because that was what we started with. Um, I think that the history of slavery, at least in most public school, I mean, and I, and I you know, I, I don't have curriculum to pull up either to show you, but my understanding is most public schools especially elementary schools do not teach much about the post-slavery era, the struggles of black civil rights up until the civil rights act, you get sort of a snapshot portrait, you know, Martin Luther King. It's almost like there's a missing time. And in my understanding, my memories of learning about uh, not just slavery, but the black experience in America. So, I mean, I guess inherently, um, you know, I do think that, you know, a little get a little bit of guilt is probably a good thing to reflect on not making the same mistakes that were made in the past or also just having a greater understanding and context of how after slavery, uh, black people were not, you know, completely free and given equal rights to white people that they had. Um, the Jim Crow era is very complex. Reconstruction, uh, you know, the fight against Reconstruction is very complex. And I mean, I think just the fact that that's was pretty much omitted when I was growing up, all that stuff um, basically says that, you know, the default is they don't they, they're trying to shield. They're already trying to shield kids from feeling guilty by omitting aspects of American history, um, including even history with slavery. I mean. I don't remember, you know, learning in school that George Washington may have pulled, you know, teeth from some of his own slaves uh, to make a pair of expensive dentures out of. I mean, that's something that's largely been verified over time um, that he used human teeth. Some of them uh, were from slaves. So it's things like that that, you know, 
I mean, is that going to make a kid feel guilty to know that the person he's taught is a, is a hero? Um, George Washington had a denture made, you know, made out of human teeth, some of them uh, belonging to slaves. I don't know. Um, but maybe that should, you know, maybe that should at least plant a seed in a child's mind that uh, that these American heroes are this patriotism um, that you seem to sort of hold so dear, even though you were, you said you were born in Canada. Um, I mean, is is pretty phony, and you know maybe uh, children should not be worshiping the founding fathers, and and for a lot of different reasons other than they also were slave owners. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, so, you know, this is a, Sowell goes into this in his essay, this like uh, relativistic morality or anachronistic morality of looking back at people who are alive 400 years ago and judging them by today's standards as if you would, wouldn't be influenced by your environment if you were back there. Now, I've never heard the thing about Washington, like stealing teeth from his slaves to make his dentures. Uh, I, I always heard the dentures were wooden. Uh, maybe they were made from real human slave teeth. That's the first I'm hearing about it. I'll have to I'll have to look into it. Let, you know, even if even if it is true, which I'm a little bit skeptical of, but even if it is true, George Washington is still a great man who who like irreversibly changed the course of history for the better. I'm not going to judge him based off of uh, something that happened, something that. You know, you know, it's a different time. People viewed slaves as property. It's not right. It's not right that they did that, but it's just the way things were back then. Um, but uh, I, I lost it again. Yeah, uh, I guess you know th- this idea. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember what it was. Y- you seem. You seem. Um, invested in wanting to make it seem bad. So that's why you bring up like the, you know, the teeth stealing thing. It's like, oh, but this was so terrible. It was so bad. But when you, when you hear about the Arab stuff, it's like, oh, why are you bringing that up? Oh, what is, what is this? You know, oh, you're, you're trying to like push these neocon wars in Iraq or what? So it, it's a bit, uh, you know, it's a bit picking and choosing what atrocities you want to highlight, which is kind of, the core issue here in terms of how do we teach this to children, if you pick and choose because of your own personal biases that you're going to wind up with these, you know, pathologized adults. Well, I'll can, I'll concede this. I'll, I'll, I'd be okay with children in elementary school learning about uh, forms of Arab slavery while they were also learning about how their parents tax dollars are paying for bombs that are, killing, you know, several million Muslim people uh, for the last 20 years. I would be okay with that if they simultaneously learned about that. Um, maybe that would make them feel too guilty because that's something happening. You know, it's not, didn't happen 200 years ago. It happened uh, not that long ago. So um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if you, so like highlighting atrocities only, you know, omitting others. I mean, if we want to really shine a light on all the atrocities, then we, you know, let's talk about all of them. So that's sort yeah, of you must like Trump since you're so anti-war. Huh? Uh, you mean the guy who got Trump out of- fan? You big Trump fan? You know, the guy who who got peace in the Middle East? The only American president who didn't start any new wars oh. uh, out of like the last four presidents? That guy? 
No, I mean, I could, that's a whole other debate to have. Come on, man. Putin wouldn't have even gone into Ukraine if Trump was still in office. You know that. Why? Because Trump's such a swing dick. You think he just, Putin was that's just. right. He's, he's a man who knows how to negotiate. <laughs> well, I'll get, I'll get you the, here then. George Washington, um, as much as you think he was a great man, was very much pro-vax. And, and in fact, he actually threatened death on some of his own Revolutionary War soldiers who refused. What to- the fuck? I hate George Washington now. Fuck George Washington. <laughs> Smallpox, everybody. That was for <clears throat> You got it. This is a great opportunity to go into the Q&A if you guys are ready. Yeah, I think we're winding down here. For sure. And folks, want to say, hey, if you love juicy debates like this, and maybe you have friends who also are kind of sick like you and like me, and they love these kinds of debates, hit that share button and get the word out for us as we host controversial topics and controversial people such as I hypocrite so that sometimes I worry. <laughs> What's with the far right thing in the thumbnail? I by put, the to way? be fair, I called Robert. trying to do me dirty, James? I, I called Robert was far left. I thought it was like, is this offensive? I don't know. Because I thought it was, you know, it's not inherently wrong to be far right or far left, to me at least. But nonetheless, we hope I, I'd rather be far right than far wrong. So Juicy, but I've got to tell you folks, I worry because we do host these controversial people or topics. I worry sometimes that YouTube may not promote us as much because they might see us as kind of a black sheep channel. My point is help us get the word out. Good old fashioned sharing really does help us grow and we appreciate your support that way. This first question coming in from Contrarian420 says... Has the panel watched Professor Tony Martin's lectures on slavery? If not, you really should. There are players in this history who refuse to take responsibility. I haven't, but I'll check it out. Was it Tony Martin's? Is that what he said? I don't even know who that is. I hope it's not from like the Hudson Institute or something. Well, I don't know, but it was Tony, Dr. Tony Martin. This one coming in check from it Joshua Larson says the best way to learn <laughs> is by experience. I don't know what that was from. But Samar Rao says, saw a pretty convincing historical argument that the higher-ups during the U.S. Civil War were primarily concerned with slavery, while the rank and file were mostly concerned with states' rights. Thoughts? I, I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, there was a lot of virtue signaling going, and maybe this is one in one uh, area I and I would agree, is that, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the abolitionists who were around during the Civil War, um, I think, had the other alternate agenda of also just wanting to destroy the South and consolidate power. I mean, I think that that's the more Civil War history you learn, the more obvious it gets that it wasn't. Yeah, the idea that it was all, you know, this heroic, uh, you know, end to slavery is not is not necessarily true. I mean, even Abraham Lincoln, um, Andrew Johnson, as I was saying earlier, fought you know, secretly fought against Reconstruction, which is sort of supposed to be, you know, the way to give black people equal rights. Um, so, yeah, I'll pass it to I on that. Uh, it rings true with me. I'm really not an expert in the Civil War stuff. Like, I hear the arguments that it wasn't about slavery, and, and but it's not, it's not something I've done a lot of research, so I don't have strong opinions on it. You got it. There's one coming in from Hake of the Hake Report. Amazing. He says... And I'm going to try to, I I think this is what he means, but I'll read it verbatim. I think he's saying America has helped blacks. And let's see. 
I'll just leave it at that because I uh, <laughs> he says America built blacks, and I think what he's saying is like America helped support or like help the black community overall. I would guess you'd maybe disagree with this, Robert. I'll let you speak for yourself. I mean, I, I yeah, I like yeah. That's a hard one to answer. I mean, I mean they they hurt. I get and then like try to help by you know doing things to lift them up later on with like public you know certain kinds of uh policies and things but it's yeah it's a very complex portrait so i, I wouldn't say that helps is the right word to use you got it this one coming in from do appreciate your question as well jer creason says who or why downplay five hundred thousand whites worked to death in chains not sure what they're referring to. I think this is. Yeah, I don't. Least... I'm not sure either. I know. Well, LP, I know you mentioned like slavery, other examples of slavery besides the transatlantic, and I don't know if they mean like the uh, Barbary pirates. I don't know if they enslaved whites or if it was. I honestly don't know. So I'm not trying to. The Barbary pirates did enslave a million whites, like they did, and like through most of history, people were enslaving their own race. So well, there's a lot of slavery in Europe where it was, you know, white people enslaving other white people. They didn't look at it that way, right? They had like different nationalities or whatever, but um, I, it sounds like he's referring to some specific uh, tragedy or atrocity, but I'm not familiar. Thoughts, Robert? Uh, no, I, I don't know what he's referring to, but I mean, I, I do think that there's one of the things that Thomas Sowell, I didn't see him touch on this and maybe I have seen something he's written it where he did, but this idea that sort of, you know, uh, black slavery in America was not as bad or was similar to all these other examples of slavery. I mean, there were different, you know, slaves throughout history that actually had like a lot more rights. Uh, if you want to look at the spectrum of whatever you could call civil rights for a slave class was compared to black slaves in the United States. I mean, um, you know, there, so I, I think there's a lot more nuance to probably what, what that actual portrait is. And I, you know, I, I'll, I'm definitely going to do more research on it so that, uh, you know, I can have, um, so I can have something other than soul to lean on when it comes to that history. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. This is from James of the Hake Report. He says, quote, reconstruction, unquote, was oppressive to the South. I think that's for you, Robert. I think he disagrees. Well, that, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure from the South's perspective, they would have seen it that way. And a lot of, you know, Southern sympathizers did because it essentially, it, it made them have to completely dismantle their entire uh, systems surrounding slaves. I mean, so they're, yeah, they're, I mean, so I like the idea and also, but I mean, that's also a little bit weird for someone to say, because in essence, what it was on its face was trying to integrate black people into society as free people. So letting them hold elected office, for example, is something that was part of like the, the whole reconstruction effort. Um, I don't see how that threatens the South. I mean, unless, you're, you mean that like people couldn't handle it on a psychological level to see a black person holding office. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Sunflower says, Rob, in 2017, students at Evergreen College. Can't, what was the name of the professor from there? He's got the Dark Horse podcast. Brett Weinstein's college. Weinstein. Right? Threw a cup or a coup in which they held white students and staff hostage while shouting demands. What are your thoughts on that? 
Oh man, I got I got to put a tinfoil hat on with that one. I watched a fucking epically long, great documentary that someone made on that whole ordeal that was like ten hours long on YouTube. I forgot the guy's name. Um, Is it Benjamin Boyce? It might be. It was like, and he, I think he went to Evergreen, and it was. I mean, as someone who's on the left, like that was some crazy shit. Like I was, I was like, damn, like what the hell was that? And I, at the end of it, honestly, I'm like, the administration of that college was pulling some shenanigans because they like they basically let these protesters just like control them and like take over the school for like months on it it was weird it's a weird situation so like i don't know that to me was a, as an especially bizarre situation i don't even think that fits in the mold of like even like an a crazy antifa action or something like that like it's a totally odd uh situation so i recommend people watch that doc I don't think it was that especially strange. It was just a little bit more extreme, but you see similar things happening in uh, higher institutions all over America. I mean, where the CRT stuff gets absolutely crazy is once you get into college and looking at what they teach in college, watching just watching videos of the protests that happen on college campuses and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's mental. You got it. This one coming in from Hague of the Hague Report. Says, oh gosh, I don't know if I could read this. <laughs> <laughs> read it. There are, is, you know, I could say it. Wait, I'll tell you, the other, last night, the other two nights ago, someone said, T-Jump. They said T-Jump was arguing that racism isn't real. I said, no, it wasn't T-Jump. It was, it was actually his opponent, Mango T, who happens to be black. And I was okay with it if Mango wants to argue that. But I, I feel like if I have a white person who says that, if they make Mango's case, I can't read it. I worry about YouTube TOS. I will say he did. He did say this though. This is he. Well, let me, let me put it this way. He's saying that oftentimes people call things racism with very little evidence that there's actual racism going on, and he says the reason is to smear whites and to basically try to take control or overpower people, socially speaking. Yeah, a lot of this is just about extracting resources from white people. That's where the like that's really like a big driving factor behind the white guilt and stuff like that. Now, I will say racism isn't real, but that's a whole y'all aren't ready for that conversation. But you can you can watch Jesse Lee Peterson because he'll he'll school you on that. Juicy, amazing. D. Badro, let me know if I pronounced it right, says little kids are sitting in a circle on a rug in school learning letters and numbers. That's it. This is all nonsense, fear-mongering. Stop it. I have a feeling it's for you, LP. Uh, wait, am I fear-mongering? I think they're saying, I, I think that they're saying, you know, LP, you're trying to make it out to be like the CRT craziness, but in reality, kids are really just learning what they've always learned letters and numbers and things like that. No kids are being told that if they have white skin, that they're, they get unfair privileges and that if they have black skin, they're going to get treated like crap. It's not good. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. By the way, Samar Rao said, do you read questions from the regular chat too? Yeah, we absolutely do. And so if you want to tag me at modern day debate in the live chat, we read super chats first, but we'll actually read non super chats as well assuming that we have the time. So we've got another 20 minutes and then we got to wrap up. This one coming in from Hake says the quote unquote <clears throat> civil rights movement was actually bad in its effects for black people and the U S as a whole. 
He doesn't say why. <laughs> no, so again, this is something I learned from watching Soul. I mean, this is why I respect the man so much because I learned a lot of things. And one of the things you learn if you, if you watch some of these uh, these Hoover Institute uh, interviews on YouTube, uh, that blacks, you know, they had much higher marriage rates, much higher rates of children being born in wedlock before the civil rights movement. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Hake strikes again, says, slavery, okay, I just can't. He says abortion <laughs> is wrong. He, I'll read part of it. And then the Herman Cain Awards responds, I think, to Hake and says, abortion doesn't exist. It's just individuals making individual choices, according to Hake's logic. Then Hake responds, saying pre-quote-unquote civil rights Blacks actually had family, but now they don't. Oh, okay. So I exactly. think that's what you were getting at, LP. I mean, I, I have heard this uh, this framing repeatedly from conservatives. And, I mean, I just don't see how that makes the Civil Rights Act bad. I mean, if there's... I, I don't think that's what we're saying. I mean, whatever... What, someone, someone said that earlier. One of the commenters said that earlier. Just going back to that. But, like... It is, I mean, I, I, like I could see there. I mean, I have heard more complex like conservative arguments about like welfare and the black family unit and things. Welfare like is bad. But yeah. just straight up saying that it's like we shouldn't have done the Civil Rights Act because uh, there's something that happened to like the black family after it's things like a pretty oversimplified framing. So, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say that either. You got it. And thanks very much for your question. This one coming in from none other than Arcade Outpost, who says, Hyperfocus on slavery is the first chain in a progressing link in academia that ends in a defense for crime being overrepresented in certain demographics. Yeah, I mean, the way it really ends is with a... a guy who should be in jail getting out on bail and then driving his yes suv into a children's parade of white people that's that, that's where that's like the end game of all this stuff he's absolutely right thoughts robert i, I mean i, <laughs> I don't know to say that last part but like the the thing about the just that this is some kind of you know being I, I, I guess I'll just say fundamentally, I don't understand the idea of why people are so sensitive. It, it just seems to me to be this like overly sensitive attitude toward just learning about slavery that somehow conservatives are the real snowflakes. Here we go. Just just the con <laughs> is why do you not want to learn about history? If you want to learn about all types of atrocities, that's totally fair game. But like why not why shy away from learning about the atrocities of slavery just on a fundamental level i mean you got it and thank you very much for your question want to remind you folks our guests are linked in the description the herman cain awards says to the panel why do you think conservatives were so apt to want to keep slavery and progress progressives were so apt to get rid of it wait what did he just say conservatives wanted to keep slavery the push to end slavery came from Christian conservatives, the, the people who you would call far right now. These are the people who took moral issue with slavery and started to rail against it. It was a conservative Christian people. 
This one coming in from Arcade Outpost says, Waukesha was a real-world end result of this academic chain, namely the chain that they said before, the hyper-focus on slavery, and it, I think they're saying, roughly speaking, being a distractor from crime being overrepresented in certain groups. They said, Waukesha was a real-world end result of this academic chain due to early release policies made on historical racism ideology. 100% correct. I mean, my my perception of that was is that a lot of these DAs, you know, around the country are becoming it's it's not racially motivated why they're, you know, becoming like more soft on certain kinds of crime or, you know, removing bail amounts. So, like, I mean, I just don't see that those two are fundamentally linked together like this. You know, it is. It absolutely is linked to race and white guilt and Whatever, you know, we need a, there's like, look, there's another side to that. It's like black pity or something like, you know what I mean? The other side of the white guilt, which is like, oh, black people commit a lot of crime, but it's because of racism, systemic racism. So that's why we got to be lighter on crime and have restorative justice. Or It's absolutely racial in nature. This one coming in from Hake says anti-discrimination laws feed suspicion and division. I don't exactly know like what he's getting at. I'll give it you if you want to hash it out, I hypocrite. Do you know what it might be? Hey, do you mean something like if there's anti-discrimination laws in terms of like old school quotas? Of, can, like, can you say again? I didn't catch. I didn't catch what it was. He said anti-discrimination laws, and so I think of like '64 Civil Rights Act. So they say he says they feed suspicion and division. And I, the only thing, suspicion made me think, like, are you talking about people thinking that people might have gotten certain positions because of their demographic background rather than their competencies? Uh, so Affirmative a- action does cause that kind of thing. Uh, as far as, like, the like the concept of protected classes, I, I'm not a big fan, but I'm not diametrically opposed either. It's, there, there are problems with it, but the... The, the problems of not having that might be worse. So it's, you know, I, I don't know. Well, there's, I mean, then there's also, I mean, if the, if the person is talking about anti-discrimination laws that are like currently in effect, I mean, maybe he's making an argument against the idea of like hate speech laws that someone could get like a larger sentence or the crime could be, you know, considered greater for doing something, you know, like a racially motivated attack, like assault or murder um, or, um, but I mean, it's interesting because like someone like Ron DeSantis um, is along with sort of a lot of these other conservative governors who have pushed what they call an anti-Semitism um, discrimination laws in public institutions to combat what they claim is anti-Semitism. But when you actually read the laws, it essentially makes it illegal to work at a public institution and get paid if you criticize the state of Israel. Um, so that's that's pretty fascinating. I hate that shit too, man. That's something we could definitely uh, bond over. (laughs) Juicy to say the least. And this one coming in from, appreciate your question, Elronder1 says, Robert, wouldn't you agree that we are hypersensitive regarding generalizing bad things of any other group other than whites, yet ridicule mental harm against white people as white fragility? I think they're saying like, hey, you know, we can, I think they're getting at like, hey, we can say that 
white people are fragile if they get bothered by certain things of CRT or whatever. But they're saying, but like if we generalize, maybe like if we say a certain group likes a certain, I, I don't know, I don't want to like say any out loud. So I think they're saying whites you can kind of beat on with generalizations a little bit, you can get away with it more. But with other demographic groups, he's saying like, don't you think people are a little bit hypersensitive? Yeah, I mean, I think the the premise he's talking about, I mean, yeah, I've heard people come from this direction. And I, I mean, I think, you know, this is going to make me sound very generic lefty, but like the idea of white supremacy as a as a general concept, I mean, I think needs to play and factor in here because like it is true that, you know, white people do hold most of the power in the United States and historically and they still do. So. I don't think that it's I mean, I think I think maybe just on a fundamental level, like I agree that it's not a good thing to teach a child or anybody that they're bad for being born a certain way, like no matter what that circumstance is. So I I mean, but like I I don't think it's going to harm anybody by like pointing out um, more that like, you know, I mean, but I, I, maybe in a weird bit of way, this guy's saying like I'm being unfair to white people by saying that they're overly sensitive to learning about slavery. I'm not exactly sure what he's saying, but um, I don't know if you want to comment on this. Well, I just want to respond there real quick. I mean, a country that is built and founded by white people is going to have historically and currently white people in power. That's that's what what a white country is going to look like. I wouldn't call that white supremacy in the same way I wouldn't go to Japan and be like, damn, y'all got Japanese supremacy up the wazoo over here. That's a weird way of framing it. And then, you know, about about what the super chatter was saying, this speaks back to, or it makes me think back to what I was saying about the education that I got as a youth and how it wasn't, um, it was well-intentioned. It wasn't like really pathologically like saying like white people are evil. But I, I think part of the reason that it seemed okay on the surface is because we were taught about Martin Luther King. We were taught about the idea of judging somebody based on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And we all said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. That sounds fair. Let's do that. Let's do it the Martin Luther King way. And now here we are 25 years later, and it's not Martin Luther King. It's white privilege, white fragility, blah, 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 blah. Just like the super chatter is saying. So this is why we have to go back to the drawing board because things got off the tracks at some point. You got it. And this one coming in from do appreciate your question as well. The Herman Cain Award says, will conservatives admit that they think the difference in race is genetic instead of always dancing around the topic? I'm not conservative, so I'm not, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> did, he, did he say race is genetic? Was that just the question? Or They said... Will conservatives admit they think that the difference in race is genetic? I don't know what difference they mean. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a race realist, so the short answer is yes. <laughs> gotcha. This one from Haig says, quote, hate crimes, unquote, are illusions and cries of racism exploded. I'm guessing they mean, when he says illusions, I don't know. I'm just trying to give my best at what I think he's saying. I don't know if he's referring to, like, the hate hoaxes, like Juicy or if he's talking about something else. 
seems like he's kind of talking about the maybe there's the concept of like people like yeah like burning down mosques or synagogues or something i, I that's what it seems like he's talking about i mean it's hard, like i always try to like avoid making any conclusions on when i see that stuff in the news after yeah a lot of that stuff has been like staged by someone who's like the other you know the other side of politics or you just never know you know until like all the, all the facts come in so i've tried to like not even like retweet stuff like that till i you know at least like a week has passed or something you got it this one coming in from chris g thanks for your super set chat says want to buy james's beard thickener is it soy based it is indeed soy based all of my products are hake says since the quote civil rights movement unquote blacks and libs have become have begun crying quote unquote racism at the drop of a hat and slander and division has proliferated okay i think he's saying that like since the civil rights act of 64 now people call i think it's kind of like i said before he's saying people are jumping the gun on calling things racist too quickly I mean, I don't think that the Civil Rights Act, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't alive back then, but I mean, I would say that that maybe more applies to like the very modern era that I is more concerned, seemingly concerned about, like, rather than like the immediate aftermath of the Civil Rights Act. I mean, just like yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It's sometime in like the 2000s, late 2000s, where we hit this exponential explosion of, uh, you know, wokeness or whatever you want to call it. You got it. And thank you very much for your question coming in. This is from the Herman Cain Award. It says, Hake says, quote, racism doesn't exist, but also says, quote, anti-white hatred has never been worse. Juicy, a little bit of rivalry in the chat there. <clears throat> and want to go, oh, wait, do we have one? On? Let me check if I got that. I did get that one. And then let me just check if we've got any last ones. Want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description. And as I mentioned, hey, feel free to share this content as that really does help. Just classic Word of mouth, it really does help, and we appreciate that support. Last one, I think we've got them all caught up. So I want to say thank you to our guests. They are the lifeblood of the channel. Thank you, Robert and LP. It has been a true pleasure to have you guys with us tonight. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for hosting. Appreciate pleasure it. Pleasure to be here. 100%. And uh, so, here he goes again. Hake says, yes, Obama would have made race relations even worse. Or no, no, he said that Obama did make race relations worse prior to him coming into office. I don't know how much responsibility I would blame for him. I think over the time period, things did get worse. I don't know specifically. There's not a lot of things Obama did. There, there's some things, but I, I, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I, I would say that it coming from the left side of the spectrum on this, I felt like Obama you know, was kind of talking down to black people a lot. Like he was, he disappointed a lot of black people probably expected him to be a lot more, you know, uh, trying to like move the needle in, in the direction of what, how they wanted. And I feel like he, I, I feel like maybe he's just his mere existence, maybe being the first black president, maybe caused <laughs> stuff. But like, I, I don't, yeah, I more or less agree that it's, it was just probably other circumstances other than him, but. He was a really bad president, but I don't know what he specifically did to inflame racial tensions in, in a way that's particularly egregious. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. And want to say, folks, we do appreciate all of your questions. So thank you guys for your support. Wait, we got this one in the live chat. Chris G says, if Obama made race relations worse, 
You think a white president would have advanced race race relations better? Uh, again, I don't think Obama was particularly egregious. I I think that he was just kind of there while this stuff was happening. So I don't have a strong opinion on that. You got it. And want to say, folks, thanks so much to our guests. They're linked in the description. I'm going to be back in just a moment letting you know about juicy upcoming debates, such as the one at the bottom right of your screen, like as well as many others. Thanks for being with us tonight, and I'll be back in just a moment. But one last thanks to Robert and LP. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.